0: Head to my website SimonMundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort.
0: Hello everyone, Simon here, and welcome to Life Lessons. Right, this week I am joined by the legendary pro climber, photographer, and Oscar winning film director who has literally skied down Mount Everest, Jimmy Chin. The theme of this episode is about taking risks, and Jimmy shares a brilliant quote during our conversation about two great risks in life taking too much of a risk and taking too little of a risk and it's the latter which doesn't tend to get as much attention broadly speaking now jimmy is someone who has followed his heart throughout his life initially against the wishes of his parents but it has paid off big time as he says commit and figure it out that's where the magic happens now jimmy won the oscar for the nail-biting film free solo and he and his wife elizabeth also directed the awesome meru and they've now done it again with another brilliant film it's called the rescue which tells the riveting tale of the 12 thai boys and their 25 year old football coach who were rescued from a flooded underwater cave in northern thailand The heroes of The Incredible Story are two of the world's best cave divers, Brits, Rick and John. And it is an excellent film, so do check it out. But first, here is the one and only Jimmy Chin. Jimmy, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very well, and I am thrilled to have you on. And that is no exaggeration, Jimmy. I'm a huge, huge fan of your work. Let me give a a brief overview of your CV in truncated form. Okay, so we've got pro skier, pro climber, photographer, documentary filmmaker, mountain athlete, Oscar winner. I mean, you name it, the list goes on. And you've got three of my favorite films. I've only just watched one of them, which is your most recent film, The Rescue, but meru and free solo crikey i mean they had a big impact on me and as you know jimmy i've already had the pleasure of speaking to alex honnold so i want to just start by asking you a question with all you've achieved and with the attention that is now pointing towards you does it sit comfortably with you the fact that there are a lot of people i bet when when you're out and about like jimmy Oh my I can't believe I've seen you that kind of stuff.
2: <laughs> yes, that does happen occasionally. Um yeah, I mean I'm fine with it. I you know, I I I don't do what I do to 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 seek um you know, attention or anything. I've always done what I've done because I I love what I do. Um mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a little different when you're promoting a book or promoting a film. And, you know, I think of that as being in service of the stories uh, that I'm telling. And because I'm telling these stories, because I'm inspired by the people in these stories. And that's sure. always been the case. And I've always, you know, explored these ideas of the human potential and the human spirit Because I was always moved by what people were doing and why they were doing it and how they were doing it and achieving, you know, these incredible feats or um, in the case of the rescue, uh, this incredible daring and really unbelievable Mm -hmm. rescue, but even though the film's about the rescue, you know we're always looking at the subtext and and sure. themes in the story, and really, at the heart of this film, my admiration was for the moral courage that these divers had and the generosity of all the people involved. so I'm deflecting already, but <laughs> yeah I mean, I think uh the attention is what it is uh I appreciate it because it it does allow these stories to kind of move into the world and people get to see them and hopefully get inspired by them.
0: Um, so, yeah. There we go. I tell you, that was a, a thorough and beautiful answer, Jimmy, and I'm glad you answered it that way. And I'm just going to follow up with a quote from none other than your wife, okay? Yes,
2: sure.
0: <laughs> You want Jimmy on your side in a war. He's one of the most trusting, loyal, reliable people, Decent and humble, with a fire burning in him. Now, part of the reason I asked that question about how you were with the attention was, if I could just share a very quick anecdote about Alex Honold. When he came and I spoke to him ahead of Free Solo at the BBC, he ambled through the main passageway at the BBC. And it was before it had really taken off. So no one really knew who he was you know in america i think in america it's called dancing with the stars over here it's strictly come dancing okay right all of these strictly come dancing stars were in the foyer and everyone in the bbc with their camera was rushing over to have a photo taken right yeah i'd watched free solo i'm there with alex and in my head i'm going you guys like you are missing a trick here as impressive as yeah. it, it is to be you know do a a dance across, <laughs> across the floor in front of you know a few million people. If you knew what Alex had done, you would not be taking photos there. But obviously it was water for ducks back to Alex. And Alex is also incredibly humble. So I suppose my question then in another meandering way is, people like you and Alex who are drawn to the mountains, who are drawn to the beauty and the epicness and the presence do you think that fosters a sense of humility?
2: Oh, absolutely, because you are getting humbled daily when you're in the mountains, because Mother Nature and, and the landscapes that we navigate are infinitely humbling, not only in you know the challenges that we set for ourselves in the mountains that are always humbling. And if you're not humble, you'll not survive, because you have to approach a lot of these places and these challenges with humility, because you can't underestimate what the challenge is. So there is that. And then I think these grand landscapes are ultimately humbling as well, because they're so Mm awe-inspiring and so much bigger than each of us individually. I think one of the reasons we love going to these places is because you realize that you're just this tiny speck. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but like your insignificance in the whole of what's around you. And in that understanding of insignificance, I think you find a lot of different ideas that, that yeah. shape who you are that you know,
0: insignificance I, jimmy just quickly that insignificance like you say being a little speck in the whole yeah. right but do you also get a sense of being part of the whole in a way that we don't we can yeah, feel no, in absolutely. day-to-day life we're separate from it but when you're there you're yes you're, I you're think one with it
2: in a therapeutic way it makes the daily issues around your life feel like you know, we, we stress so much about the tiniest things all the time. And in some ways, it's that feeling kind of alleviates that stress. But it is, it does make you feel part of something greater and bigger. And I think the best word is awe, you know, yeah, yeah. we're always trying to experience a sense of awe in what we do and the places that we go. And that's kind of a transcendent feeling. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's,
0: it's it's awe, transcendence, presence. They're all sort of intertwined. Yeah, yeah. which goes hand in hand with humility, right? Yeah. The small self is irrelevant out there, right? Yeah. You know. But and I
2: think but... I think we find a lot of meaning in what we do, and so it's like a reference point for us. So there's certain things where you know, fame for the sake of fame for for me feels empty. And so, and I I have a reference of like the things that give me meaning. So it's not like I don't appreciate it or think it's bad. I think it is what it is. And then I know the things in my life that give me a sense of meaning and purpose, you know, my family and my kids and my friends and being in the mountains and shared experiences with people and the incredible partnerships I've had the moments of achievement, um, the moments of failure, you know, they, they all tie into these kind of really deeply meaningful experiences. And so, you know, it's not like I, 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 I don't compare everything to that, but just as yeah. who I am and the experiences I've had, it's hard to not move through life without, you know, using that as a compass.
0: Well, I think we all want awe, presence, connection, really. And in, and I think there's this illusion that self-aggrandizement is where it's at. But actually, it's really not. And I think you've summed it up beautifully there. Now, let's do your origin story, Jimmy, yeah. because, because it is fascinating. So your parents came to the United States from China during the Revolution. They took up jobs as librarians and Am I right in saying you were named after James Dean?
2: I mean, my mom had said, you know, those are the kinds of things that I never really asked later in life because somewhere early on that I don't even really remember because I think I might have, you know, it's one of those questions you ask your mom when you're like five. You're like, <laughs> what am I, who am I named after? And I, somewhere in there, I know that she said that. Yeah, but I don't remember the actual moment, but I think okay. oh, that's
0: interesting. So that is interesting. There's a friend of mine who lives just around the corner. He's got a Chinese medicine shop and he and I chat a fair bit about, say, for example, the difference between Chinese culture and American culture. There is the individualist culture on the one hand and the collective culture on the other. And in your case, it's like a collision of the two in many ways, isn't it? And I know yeah. that your parents, particularly your father, really pushed you incredibly hard. You were a very good swimmer, an accomplished violinist, black belt judo by the age of about seven. I think I was like 12. (laughs) Okay. yeah, All right, young. We'll say young. You were really, quite typically I would suggest, pushed really to make the most of everything you have. Is that fair?
2: Yes, that's fair. At the time for me, I grew up with kind of one foot in two different worlds, you know. I think that's the experience of a lot of first-generation people whose parents were immigrants. Their parents came to the States, they were raised here, and they're living with the cultural and traditional backgrounds of their parents, but they're also trying to fit into the United States or the UK. And that was my experience. I grew up with, uh, you know, trying to bridge different worlds. And I think that actually had a, a big impact on like, how I, I tell stories. But yes, my parents pushed me really hard. It was always about excellence, pushing as hard as you possibly could, you could do anything you want, if you put your mind to it. I mean, it's imprinted in me deeply. And so <laughs> even though I didn't, like, continue on with yeah. Playing the violin, I picked up the guitar instead. And Instead of swimming like an endurance kind of sport, i mountain climbing. Yeah. And martial arts kind of crossed over everything, just the discipline yeah. of training yeah. and that mental-physical combination sure. that I really, really enjoy.
0: Do you think the amalgamation or the blending then of these two cultures that are so different actually often produces something even more beautiful than one can on their own and it's funny because i was honestly sincerely having this exact conversation with my friend dan about two days ago if if
2: like living in these two worlds brings things to the table so
0: take taking you know there's the individualism of of america and the kind of hey um you know the, the kind of the pats on the back that let's say american kids get Whereas the yeah. push that perhaps Chinese kids might get a bit more and a bit more of like, you know, serving the family, that kind of thing, you know? So we're actually going, we're having a therapy session here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I
2: mean, it's true because I, I think it's so funny the way you just put that because I think back on my childhood, I don't remember when I ever got a pat on the back. Like, good job. It was always like, Oh, I think you could have done better. And A, when, when you got an A, it was always it's it's hysterical. I do remember these moments being like, I got an A. And 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 it's like they they were kind of conscious of it, but they couldn't help themselves. My parents would be like, whoa, it should be an A plus, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Okay, yeah. <laughs> got it. Like it should be an A plus. Like okay, got it. And that is the kind of mentality I bring to everything I do, my work. It's sure. like an endless journey to be like perfection, you know, like sure. perfect execution. Like, this is, um, you know, this is what it's about. And That's so cool. that crosses over into the craft of my photography and my filmmaking. I'm never really necessarily satisfied. It's always yeah. like, I don't know, can it be 1% better? Because if it can, we should do it, you know? And that 1% makes a difference. It is that last 5% that makes a difference in really
0: everything. Here's a question for you then. That quest for satisfaction, the never-ending quest for satisfaction, is it satiated when you are in the mountains enveloped by the awe and that feeling of, both insignificance and significance.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, there are moments. There are absolutely moments. You know, and it's not just like when you get to the top of like a really difficult climb or skiing a really difficult line. Although I will say that it does happen in those moments, especially when it's kind of like a binary situation like we lived and we didn't die. I am very satisfied. (laughs) But the reason why I think I'm drawn to climbing and surfing and skiing in the big mountains in particular, or being out in the ocean, is that it requires you to be 100% present in that moment, because it is a little overwhelming and, and you really have to be completely there and firing on all cylinders, um, making calculations in your, your mind, but also, you know, being physically really present and executing in a way that allows you to be there. That is a different type of attaining that satisfaction because you're not thinking about trying to be satisfied anymore. Yeah future doesn't exist at that point, right? Yeah, you're just in the moment and you are just there. And that's, that's in a lot of ways, that's a, it's a big relief, right? Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, it's a subject I've touched on many times, Jimmy. It's I think it's what we all uh, really want. You see yeah. it in all sorts of sports. And obviously yours is particularly good at evoking <laughs> that experience. Okay, so let's just fast forward a bit. So you've been striving for your A pluses. But then uh, you're at college, all going great. It's clear it's going to be either lawyer, doctor, finance. Your path is set. But then comes climbing. So can you just quickly, very quickly, give an abbreviated version of the falling in love? And then also, you've got some great mantras and quotes, one of which is the greatest, well, it's about risk. I'm, and i'm going to mangle it oh yeah
2: here. no no i i, I know which fr- one you're, you're suggesting it's uh, it was um from my friend john krakauer the author into the thin air into into yeah. the wild yeah, yeah. Um, under the banner of heaven i mean he's got a yeah, yeah. a lot of incredible books but he once said to me that there are two great risks in life risking too much and risking too little and you know i think we focus a lot on risking too much, um, which is understandable and that's how people survive. But this idea of risking too little, I don't know if that's taught and talked about as much because there are costs to that, going through life without taking any risks because the opportunity cost is like achieving something great or... Because anytime you're trying to do something or or, you know there's no way to achieve anything great without taking risks and great anything great is obviously a subjective thing because you know you could say well sitting on the couch 24 hours a day 7 days a week watching TV is great well Um, (laughs) I I don't know I mean but it's not my definition so I'll qualify that with that people's idea of what's great, just different. And
0: and I'm, 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 I'm down with that, but for me, it's different. And then the first great risk you took then was in eschewing the path that was laid out so clearly for you and following your heart. Yes. Can you just tell us about that and also about the, the, how you felt about yeah. climbing? No,
2: I mean, I think I think anytime anyone chooses to follow their heart and their passion, that is basically the most vulnerable you can be, you know, whether that's in a relationship or in what you do, because you're laying yourself out there. And it's extraordinarily vulnerable, because either getting denied or failing to achieve this thing that you have put your whole heart into in your life or your career, you know, when, whenever you whenever you do that, I think it's, it's very, it's a huge risk, emotionally, um, sometimes in my world physically, but You know, I think that that's when people are the most vulnerable. I chose to go that way. I felt very vulnerable. I felt like I was letting a lot of people down. I was questioning, like, who am I to decide to do something like this when that is not the expectation of my parents or of society or of a lot of my peers that I went to school with? You know so it was it felt really risky and and i was filled with a, you know endless doubt like this is not is this the right thing to do and every time which happened daily multiple times i had to make a decision about should i go this way or should i go that way i i did keep pushing off to go do my own thing and it took some while, it took some time to feel comfortable with it i mean many many years like 10 years you know maybe longer i don't know i mean it was you're never sure because you think wow this path seems so much more risky and a lot harder why did i choose this way maybe i should have just taken an easier path yeah but everybody's path is strewn
0: with with challenges and doubt i think so okay so when you decided to go against your parents' wishes, ultimately. And like you say, you had all these doubts going around, but there was something in you that was just, your heart was just like, you have no choice. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: it was, that part was
0: probably what drove me to do what I do. I
2: was so enamored with climbing and the lifestyle and the places that it took me. It was as if I couldn't not do it. And that was like the internal battle i'm like why can't i stop doing this thing it was i guess maybe it felt like an addiction but i loved it uh i loved the people that i was meeting i loved spending time in these extraordinary landscapes there was no other experience i had in my life that combined so many different aspects of life that felt adventurous and intellectually stimulating and challenging and a little scary and sometimes really scary and really fun and just the kind of and this is probably the part about you know this idea of like freedom and being able to choose your own destiny but like living on the road out west in the united states is a very kind of particular thing right there's it, it's so big and expansive and open and you're driving between these national parks and you're on the road and you can decide one day, ah, you know what? I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over there and spend the night. And, oh, and then you end up in this place and you decide to spend three weeks there because it's amazing. You know, I, I lived like a, a, a vagabond. um, And I did really funny, odd jobs to kind of support it. And I was like, well, this probably isn't what my parents pictured for me. I was like shoveling roofs on like the mansions in Jackson. I was valet parking. I was waiting tables and, and delivering Christmas trees. I mean, it, it was whatever I could do to like make enough to just keep doing what I was, was doing um, because what I was doing was absolutely awesome for me.
0: Yeah, and I had two different Anecdotes, stories. One from your sister who said during this seven year period she'd ring you, you know, and you're living out of a vehicle, and she would always say, you know, how are you? And you'd be like, I am so, so happy. Right? That was the one. And yeah. then on the other side, your parents would be like, Several thousand years of Chinese language, and there isn't a single word for what you're doing. Like yes. so that was so this again, there's that, yeah. that clash. But you obviously you made peace with that. Um, with what you've now gone on to achieve. How do you think your parents would feel about what you have done?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, so both of my parents have passed, but you know, I, I'm so grateful for now for how they pushed me because it was in that kind of like pushing of me to achieve that pushed me to take risks because early on, I thought it was about the achievement. But as I've moved through life, I understand now that it's important to have those kind of goals. Because if you don't, at least for me, it's hard to take risks to achieve those goals. And I think in that pushing that my parents did with me and growing up, it's driven me to take take a lot of risks calculated. More calculated these days, a little less calculated in my early
0: 20s.
2: (laughs) But But that's the um, way it's
0: got to be, right?
2: Yeah, that's the way it is. Um, You you have to survive the 20s. (laughs) Um, Experiment and survive. Yeah, but it was really good. And I'm grateful for kind of the work ethic that they, you know, really um, imparted on me. Because it was also always about, yeah, there is no shortcuts. Like you basically have to put the time in um there was a lot of anecdotes my dad used to tell me about you know in the world of martial arts or in, in the Shaolin temple about the dues you had to pay even just to like you know the years of sweeping the the entryway before you could even put step foot into the temple to 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 even think about starting to train you know and and so i i always got that that was very <laughs> deeply entrenched in my upbringing um you have to pay your dues. you have to work hard it's a, you know it's it's kind of classic um chinese ethos um mentality but uh I did um appreciate that and and really it wasn't until i think when I started shooting for national geographic um that's when my parents were like oh that's that's That seems pretty legitimate like we've gotten national (laughs) geographic you know uh, for many 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 years and we we kind of understand what that is and that's um and i brought my i remember bringing my mom to washington dc where i was there was an exhibit and i was giving a talk at the grosvenor auditorium at the headquarters of national geographic and it was the first time where i felt like my mom was like, okay, you know, the whole lobby was this exhibit from this expedition we'd done to Tibet. And I remember she seemed quite happy with me.
0: Satisfied. (laughs) Satisfied. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, I've got another mantra of yours that um, sprung to mind when you spoke about the 20s and not having it quite so figured out, which I think, by the way, is a really, this is beautiful, which is commit and figure it out. So if you commit full on magic happens because you can't have known the way things were going to pan out for you. uh, you (laughs) And increasingly now you're getting to plan and and we can talk about, you know, I mean, feature film, blah, blah, blah. There are lots of directions you're planning on going now. But in the first place, all you did was go, right, I'm going to follow my heart and see where it takes me. And that's it, right? And the older I've Uh got, the more I've realized it's like, Forget the five-year plan. Certainly when you're young, it's, no, follow your heart and see what's waiting for you.
2: A hundred percent. It is how I've shaped my life. That idea of commit and figure it out is also a mantra that I've lived by because I always thought you had to like really – and. And in academia, you do, but it is if your dream is to be an academic, then it is about study and and school and mentorship and research and all of that. For me, it was a little less defined. So I always thought you had to go to school for these things or have classical training which is all very, very helpful and probably would have made it a little easier for me, but it was just all about discovery. I didn't know I was going to be a photographer. I didn't even think I wanted to be a photographer. I certainly never thought that I was going to be a filmmaker. I mean, if you had asked the 18 year old version of myself, what do you think you're going to be doing in 10 or 20 years? I wouldn't have imagined the the, the words filmmaker would not have come out of my mouth. I had no idea that I was gonna be a filmmaker. It was only in following circuitous path that I've been following that I landed there and, it, and I ended up making films. Oscar winning um, films, just as an FYI. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so it is, it's, it's, it, I think it's important to um, discover for yourself, what it is that you're meant to do some people know it early and i'm always i'm always impressed and astounded by the, the people who have like you're like when did you start doing that and you knew and you just kept going and now you're in this crazy place but that's that's not the case for for most people i don't think and i think and also it can
0: change can't it jimmy it can it change can change all the time
1: yeah,
2: yeah. it can change but the discovery aspect of it, I think, is is hugely important and allowing yourself the space to discover it, something. But it generally starts with having to commit to something. And that commitment is where the magic happens. Yeah. Because I committed to climbing and climbing led me to photography, which led me to filmmaking. Yeah. But, at the heart of what I do and i'm and and in terms of like a career, like I still make half of my living as a professional athlete, you know it's like i still that's how i I still make a living, so that's kind of like my day job, so I had to commit to that, and it's still a huge part of my life, like that's what I do when i when I'm traveling, I'm trying to find the climbing gym or trying to squeeze in a trip between trips to go to go climbing or to go skiing or to like get that feel.
0: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco
2: QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years basketball has had innovations over the years too we're seeing the game played in new ways every day learn more at invesco.com qqq let's rethink possibility invesco distributors inc
1: many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care
3: At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to Nile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at Nile.com for $50 off your purchase. Nile.com code LISTEN.
0: Absolutely. Right, last few lessons to extract before we dive into your latest film. So we've spoken about taking risks, we've spoken about finding something you're passionate about, you spoke about I've heard you speak about building the right team. So let's say like, you know, with Free Solo, the reason it was so beautiful was obviously not just the story matter, not just the relationship, not just you guys at the bottom, like looking through your fingers. It was the fact that all of you gelled so well in terms of building a right team, does that again come down to follow your heart? Um,
2: it's a little different than just following your heart. I mean, it's related, certainly. I mean, the, the, like if we're gonna use Free Solo for an example, everybody on that team that you know we built for that production were professional climbers, not just professional climbers, but elite professional climbers and also incredibly creative and elite, you know, high angle cinematographers, and they all followed their passions. And, and, you know, it's one of those things that's hard to define, but like, for me, there is this idea that they're doing it for the right reasons. Yes. You know, they've chosen the path and they've done what they're they've done for what I consider the right reasons, because it's meaningful to them and they couldn't not do it just just in the same way that i felt. And it's helpful to have people like that who are deeply passionate about what they're doing and the craft of climbing and the craft of cinematography um for starters. Like that was the baseline. They had to be world class and they ha- also had to kind of be doing it for like i said the right reasons. But they also had to be people who i trusted I guess, emotionally, like, like I knew that they could hold up under pressure. I knew that they had been through a lot of their own experiences in which they wouldn't cave when it got hard, because I knew that this project was going to have a lot of very challenging moments, whether that's three weeks back to back days of 18 hour days, nonstop trying to chase Alex, or if it was getting their shit together the night before Alex is going to go free solo and not forgetting everything because they're so freaked out of their minds, you know, I mean, or that they weren't going to be paying attention to the repelling because they were thinking about Alex, you know, there, there were so many opportunities to make mistakes for the amount of hours that we spent on high angle terrain. I mean, just the kind of statistically like, that amount of time being in high angle terrain, there's just a thousand and one opportunities to make a single mistake that could be catastrophic. So yeah, yeah. I needed to have that trust in them. So I, I do, I do follow my instincts, but I do, do, I have a real kind of checklist and process for who's, um, right for the team yeah. and, and it's different for every project
0: yeah but you have to resonate with them clearly right uh, i'm just going to rattle through a couple of yours with meru you were rejected twice before you got accepted and then uh, smashed it at sundance yes. so that is just a, a lesson there i just want to quickly skip over that you know you roadblocks are part and parcel of it oh um, sure. and then and then when it came to el cap i know you would spend days on the side of the mountain filming or, or waiting to film, and some days get nothing. So there's a, there's an element of acceptance and dropping expectation in there as well. This, I mean, you are you're a gift for the lessons front. But listen, we've got to skip on now. So let's talk about your latest film. This incredible story of 2018, which we all remember. So the 12 young Thai boys mm-hmm. football team and their coach underground in this cave the rising waters are they going to get them out all the families outside and so watching the film and and seeing what went into it and how things were just such tiny margins very similar to El Cap actually you know one's the slightest mistake and it would have been disastrous can you just quickly explain why because it is a a slight detour for you But at the same time, I know that you resonate with these people on some level, too. So can you just tell me a little bit about how this came into being?
2: I mean, I think every film we make, we think, wow, that was the hardest film we've ever made. And I thought that would end with free solo. I was like, there will never be a film. But The Rescue was incredibly challenging in so many different ways. But it, it came about because we followed the events as they were happening from afar, and we were riveted by the story. And as we learned more about what actually happened, because we knew it was a great story, but it wasn't until we really kind of started to understand what actually happened that we were, We were very, very committed to trying to make the film. Because as I mentioned before, it, 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 we look for stories that have bigger universal themes that even transcend the subjects themselves or the event themselves. Um, and the subtext of what what's happening in the stories uh, and this this was so rich on so many levels, and so we chased it um it was with another filmmaker uh originally, and they had some creative differences with the producers and it opened up again, and we asked National Geographic if we could make it and so that's how we ended up landing it and then we we just uh <laughs> sorry for the pun, but we just dove in like we knew that. <laughs> it was a huge forensic exercise because it was such a fragmented story and it was one of those stories where everybody thinks they know what happened and they kind of do but they don't really know what happened and so we had to piece that all together and build that timeline um because you know this is documentary filmmaking there's obviously the the journalistic standards of nonfiction filmmaking that apply um so just getting that right was a huge challenge and then really kind of getting these divers to talk about themselves and they're not, you know, talk about their feelings and they're, 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 they're not the type that love talking about their feelings. Um, but then just kind of building it all together was a huge challenge. It had a lot of obstacles because there, there basically wasn't any footage from inside the cave of the rescue. Mm, yeah. And we had to figure out how to, how to pull that together.
0: And we'll come to that because I know you had to even deal with the seals. So I'm intrigued to find out how how you managed to do that. But to come back to the divers. So two of the central characters are these British, somewhat eccentric divers who just love cave diving. And, you know, they've got their own homemade equipment. So people are like, what the I mean, that doesn't look like proper equipment, but it's that it's made to spec. Did you feel there was an affinity between, let's say, the type of person who, on some level, who is drawn to, say, mountaineering and to doing the pursuit that those guys do?
2: No, absolutely. uh, Some people had kind of described the divers as being kind of odd and outcasts and, you know, a bit awkward. And when I met them... I just remember thinking they seem totally normal to me (laughs) because I think I'm kind of surrounded (laughs) by people (laughs) who are like that, who've chosen these kind of very potentially high risk, high stakes kind of fringe activities, like high altitude Alpine big wall climbing is not very mainstream and neither is, you know, serious expedition cave diving. And so it does draw, I think, a certain type of person. A, they, you know, just people who embrace the unknown, who enjoy that feeling, and it's not for everyone, or maybe it is, but most people haven't discovered that they would actually love that. But, um, and they have a real sense of, exploration, the seeking of these, you know, awe-inspiring experiences, highly, highly calculated. You have to be really, really sharp and have a mind that can do a lot of high risk calculations simultaneously and multitask while doing something physically. And, um, so there is a kind of mind that it, it draws, um, too. But yeah, I totally got them. And, and I think when when the, when they met me, or maybe they, they had done a little bit of research, and they knew what I had, was doing with my, my work and my life, I think they all also saw Free Solo. I think they all kind of related to Alex as well. So we had some credibility going into it. And, and I also just enjoyed getting to know them because they were great.
0: And the journey they went through in terms of first of all, you know, heading out there, because it was like, look, no one else can do it, right? Apart from you guys. And yeah. it, it, I'm sorry, it's a bit corny, but you know, not all heroes wear capes. Because it is a bit like that, right? It's it's, right. you know, well, it, that's
2: that's part of what what drew us to the story. Because yeah. it was like, you don't have to look like a superhero. You don't have to act like a superhero. The potential, um, and and you can be a superhero essentially. Yeah. But what it really—the subtext of that—is that basically, like, we all have the potential to be a superhero. We all have the potential to make the right decisions and have moral courage to do the right thing when it's asked of us, mm. and not to ever forget that. And that, you know, I think we're bombarded in the news and the media about all the things that, all of the differences and mm. the things that divide us and you know, the worst of human nature, because the algorithms mm-hmm. know that it yeah, yeah. captures your attention. So we're just fed that endlessly. And we just want to remind people, that actually, you know, there, we all have this common humanity. Yeah, And when it comes to saving a bunch of kids, and people are the best versions of themselves, like, We all have the capacity to do that. And we all have the capacity to kind of do that all the time. So that is kind of the subtext of the the film.
0: And it's a beautiful subtext. And I think something that I wasn't aware of is that... Just remind me of the two two main English... Uh, John and Rick. John and Rick. So they obviously went out there. And if things had gone wrong, and there was a very good chance it would have gone wrong, they would have had to have got sped out of there... Because their lives may have been in danger or they certainly may have ended up in the Thai judicial system. Yeah. But I didn't realize quite how much pressure they were under beyond just the oh, saving of these lives. Yeah, I mean, lives.
2: that's why it's such that's that's called moral courage. Yeah. That is to say, if I'm the only person to be able to save this person, but in the act of saving this person, I have everything to lose. And it's very likely I will lose everything. Do I still choose to go save this person? And that's a question. That's like a central question of the film. What would you do? And they chose to try and save these kids, even though they had everything to lose, not only their careers or their lives, you know, ending up in, in you do not want to end up in a Thai prison. No. <laughs> um, And, but I mean, just the psychic trauma of potentially feeling like you had killed these kids because you had to try this outrageous rescue, um, but you you couldn't leave them behind. Yeah. Like that wasn't an option for them.
0: So uh, we know how it ends. Uh, just like an L Cap, when Alex was doing the rounds, even though you're watching it at the time, it's one of those things. It's like, I was interviewing Alex, but even, even when I was watching it, you still, part of your brain is like, he's going to fall, he's going to fall. And it's <laughs> the same with this film, right? You know, you have that same sense of, gosh, what the heck's going to happen? But as we know, they do survive. And the two guys, when they get their recognition from the queen, and obviously then you speak to them afterwards and you do the interviews and stuff, did you sense that they had grown or what did they get from it? You know, in yeah, terms I mean, of, you know it's what it's
2: mean? hard for me to say definitively because I didn't know them before the rescue, but I will say from what they've told me and Chai is that it was a transformative experience and how could it not be right. Course, yeah. um, but their calling of being cave divers of which they've kind of been like doing under the radar for, you know, for Rick for 40 years, and nobody really gets it or appreciates it, but it is his craft. All of a sudden, in this moment, he's asked to use that craft to save 13 people, um, 12 kids and their coach. So I think for him, it must have been hugely satisfying to be like, wow, I've devoted my whole life to this craft. And in this moment, it was the only thing that could save these kids, and I was able to use it in this way. How would you not be, you know, yeah, transformed that. by that experience? Um, yeah. And I think the other divers said this, said the same. You know, they said, look, you know, in the film at the end of the film, I think they say their part.
0: It's like what you said, right? Commit, and the magic happens. And And it might take 40 years. 40 years. Well, I'm sure they had
2: lots of magic happen in those 40 years.
0: But that was it. Okay. Right, last couple of things, Jimmy. There was one bit in the film that really I found really interesting, and was when the the Buddhist priest, monk, monk came in, and the reverence that everyone had for them. And again, it was that clash of East and West. He's like, I'm not taking these bracelets down. It's like, no, dude, yeah. take the bracelets down. You've got to take the bracelets down. Yeah. But ha- how he called it as well. He was like, no, yeah, they they will come out. And he basically called it. I don't know. Did, he did. Did that impact you? Because when I was watching it, I was like, whoa.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that impacts different people differently for sure. But The main kind of intention behind showing kind of the mythology of the mountain and including the story about the monk was just to push people to think about their belief system. Because, again, I think we often assume our belief system is the only belief system. And it's the only real belief system, which is just... Not the case, Mm. right? Like Mm. if you travel at all, you'll realize people have very different belief systems and it's just as real to them as yours is to you. And we, for some reason, don't consider that very much. So we wanted to show that, you know, for people in Northern Thailand, like this is reality for them. This is what they believe in. And actually, who's to say... (laughs) the monk didn't save the
0: kids 100% yeah
2: because there are a lot of people who believe that he did and that maybe the princess and her father made yeah. up and yeah. she released the kids in this moment and it was cathartic for that story is yeah, you know yeah, the, yeah. the players in that story i mean who knows right so yeah we just thought it was really important and it was interesting talking to the american Air Force PJs, the parajumpers, who are basically one of the highly, most highly trained rescue operations in the world. They do special ops rescues in combat. You know, they're, they are the, the top level. And they were saying to me how when Sanam died, the Thai Navy SEAL, one of the yeah. Thai Navy SEALs dies during the rescue, incredibly brave, but, but died during the rescue. They themselves were saying, oh, that must be one of the two people that the monk said would die during, would be sacrificed in order to get these kids. And I just, they said that kind of offhandedly. And I just thought it was so funny because even without knowing, they had accepted this different belief system because they were in Thailand and they were in that moment and they were, they they had
0: totally bought into it. Probably not even consciously. Yeah, yeah. There is a certain western arrogant to our belief systems i think and and anyway we we don't need to go down that okay right last two things first of all you're a meditator aren't you uh i do i have not been very good about it okay but okay but but you are because there's one film that is going to extol the virtues of getting a meditation habit it's this one right because if those kids hadn't meditated thanks to their coach and yeah. very simple, following their breath just to keep themselves calm. And you can see how calm they are. It's yeah. unbelievable, right? Then you probably wouldn't not gonna develop a meditation habit, quite frankly. No, a- but it is, it is, it
2: was probably very critical to their survival. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then last thing, right? So I read a really interesting article when I was doing my research where someone said many years ago so the park near where you live and certainly where you grew up and you love to spend your time. And this guy said, there was this one moment where I thought Jimmy might have something a bit special where you rocked up at a fast food outlet and said something like, look, can I get some small chips by the way? Can you just throw in a burger and Coke like for free? Like, and this guy's like, yeah, sure. Why not? It was like, Obi-Wan Obi mind trick stuff. And this guy behind you, who's with you is like, how's he done that thought he'd chance his arm and got to look like no way buddy this is not going to wash from you right yeah. so that got me thinking in terms of the footage that you had to get from the yeah. thai navy seals what's some like 87 hours worth of footage did you use a similar jedi mind trick to get that footage
2: <laughs> you know that's a really funny story is one of my best climbing partners early on we didn't have any money so i that i i I'd forgotten about that little anecdote (laughs) until um, he told it recently. But I've had to do a lot of Jedi mind tricks in my career. And believe it or not, a lot during Free Solo to basically get... Working with Alex requires total Jedi (laughs) mind trickery. But if if you think I have Jedi mind tricks, you still need to meet my wife, Chai who's like the ultimate jedi in fact in in a lot of different ways and it was Chai that got that footage from the Thai Navy seals after 2 years of negotiating she flew to Thailand after she got her second vaccination did the quarantine 2 weeks went to the Thai admiral Thai Navy seal admiral's house and over 5 days convinced him to give us this footage love it so it the isn't. lesson there is marry a, a jedi. A jedi master <laughs> that is more if you think you're a jedi master more of a jedi master. Yeah, than-
0: You can get a burger, she can get 87 hours of footage off Thai Seals. Exactly. Okay, that is next level.
2: You would have had them hand over the keys
0: to the entire establishment. (laughs) Amazing. Well, listen, I think it's wonderful that you and your wife work together and work together so beautifully and create such fabulous projects. I know you've got so much exciting stuff, your first feature film coming up and... At some point, I'm trying to persuade my wife to uh, see if she might work with me. So I'm going to use you as my reference point, if that's all right, Jimmy. Anyway, but but I'm going to wrap it up there. Listen, Jimmy, like I said at the start, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Your wife's quote about being particularly the humble was spot on. Your work is outstanding. Your lessons are gold. And it's been a beautiful, awe-inspiring, presence-inducing, flowing hour to spend with you. So I just want to say... thank you cap and cut as they would say i think it is
2: absolutely it's been great chatting with you bye
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode of life lessons with jimmy chin i really enjoyed chatting to jimmy and i hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation too he was a fountain of wisdom And two things that really stood out for me is this idea about the danger of not taking risks in life as well as committing to a path and then figuring it out as you go along. I'd love to hear your thoughts, get in touch at Simon Mundy on social media. Just a reminder to sign up for my weekly newsletter, Monday on Monday, two of the best life lessons from over 300 of these conversations straight to your inbox to get your week off right. Head to simonmundy.com to sign up for that. Also, if you could share this episode and leave a kind rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, it would make a big difference and would be hugely appreciated. Right, that's it for now. Until next time, goodbye.
3: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and
2: keep the bugs out with Replacement Screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to
1: suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screens